Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last and you are listening to Beyond Synth episode 103. This is going to be an interesting one for people because today on the show is not a synth wave musician, but it's somebody who I've wanted to talk to for a long time because I listen to a lot of podcasts and I have for a long time and mostly comedy podcasts and some science ones and stuff like that. But one of my favorite podcasts and one of the most popular podcasts on the web Web is WTF with Mark Marin. Probably some of you have heard it. I'm assuming you have. It's where comedian Mark Marin uh, he talks to comedians, people from Hollywood, you know, musicians. He's had tons of just huge guests uh, on his show, and uh, it's uh, it's a really great podcast if you haven't, because the conversations are just really good, really genuine conversations that you don't normally hear on other shows. They get pretty personal and they delve into people's pasts and their childhoods and stuff like that. And so it's really neat to hear, you know, like uh, actors and musicians and, and people, writers and people you've followed their careers and actually have, you know, real conversations instead of just like press kind of the shit you always hear them say. Anyway, it's a great show, and I always knew that there was a lot sort of going on behind the scenes that wasn't really talked about, and so I got in contact with Brendan McDonald, who is the producer of WTF, and today we have a really nerdy podcast discussion about podcast production and stuff. So you know whenever I make fun of the idea that I never talk to musicians about how they make music because I find it nerdy? Well, today is literally a very nerdy, detailed conversation about podcast production down to advertising and editing and all this fucking stuff. So I'm just going to say it was very interesting for me, and hopefully there's other people out there, maybe fans of WTF, who will be interested in what Brendan has to say. And also today is the debut of Keith Keeping it 80s with Marco Merrick. So today is day one, and I'll be talking with Marco in just a few minutes, and uh, we'll do that segment, and that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, what else? Let's uh, so let's listen to some music, and then uh, we'll fucking get this thing started, man. So this is a track by Chromatique. This is a cool one. This is Honeymoon.
And that was Honeymoon by Chromatique. That's a cool track. I dig that one. Uh, as always, uh, Beyond Synth is brought to you by DownToJam.com, a free website that helps musicians around the world connect based on musical compatibility. If you're a musician looking for a partner to jam with or to fill a spot in your band, you're going to want to check out this site and sign up. DownToJam.com, D-O-W-N-T-O-J-A-M.com. And while you're going dot-coming all over the web... Uh, what? Uh, listen, listen. Visit uh, all the Beyond Synth places on the web and give them your support. So check out the Beyond Synth Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash beyond.synth.podcast. Give that a like. It makes me feel great. And also check out the SoundCloud. And uh, Andy Last on Twitter. I am at Andy Last on Twitter. So uh, that's a place where you can uh, visit me. And uh, I usually just post stuff about the show. There's also a YouTube channel, which I am uh, slowly filling with videos. Nobody watches them, but they're there. <laughs> like, don't worry, I know. When I, <laughs> for some reason, the uh, the listenership of the podcast is not quite translating to the YouTube page, but uh, we're working on it. Me and my team of me, uh, but we'll uh, we'll figure something out. Anyways, uh, I think I think it's time to keep it 80s with Marco Merrick. So let's fucking roll that jingle and get this thing started. It's keeping it 80s with Marco Merrick, and I'm here with Marco right now for the the debut segment on the show. So how's it going, dude? I'm good. Woohoo! I made it. Yeah, I'm on Andy's <laughs> show. How cool is that? <laughs> My life's complete now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we did uh, we did the video. I guess this would be last week or. Two weeks ago now, I guess, now that this is airing. Mm. And uh, people had fun with that when we did our little uh, video announcement of you being part of the show now. Right. Did you like the edit when it was done? Yeah, it was a great edit, and you did a really good job. It was pretty funny. I, I, I'm really amazed at the response it got. People really, really enjoyed it. And a lot of people watched the whole thing, too, which I was surprised. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you know how short people's attention spans are these days, but... Uh, it was actually amazing the amount of feedback I got from it and the amount of people asking me how to cook a bloody steak. I yeah. couldn't believe it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, maybe we should change the name of the show you were saying. Maybe we should change it to Cooking with Marco. Or yeah. <laughs> I loved... Um, <laughs> I, yeah, that's a good point about people tuning in because like, I... I think it was last week's episode. No, no, sorry. It was on the Scandroid episode. I, I had download codes that I was giving away at the end, but I waited till the very end of the show and I just sort of announced it without having any, you know, I just said, oh, by the way, I've got uh, Wojciech 
Golchevsky's album download codes to give away. So it's funny when you then you find out how many people actually tune in and stay and listen to the whole thing. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, the, the episode might have like a thousand listens or something, and I get like two emails going like, hey, you still got codes? You probably don't have any codes left yet. And I'm like, yeah, I do actually. Because <laughs> I, I like to hide that stuff in the show to prove who actually listens, right? Because I feel like if I give them away at the very start of the show, then uh, that doesn't that doesn't prove to me who's actually paying attention. I used to do the same thing on my show. I'd always try to give them away as late as possible. Um, um, you know, just to reward the people that stay for a while and stay for eight hours or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? You know, it's that's the way to do it, just to see who's really paying attention. I'm just going to shut my door, Andy. I've got this, if you can hear these fucking birds today, man. <laughs> Damn birds. <laughs> Fuck. So uh, why don't you um, explain what Keeping It 80s with Mark O'Merrick is, and then, uh, and then we'll do it. Sure. All right. Well, I guess we're just um, seeing how it goes, but uh, I think it's the format at the moment. We're going to play a couple of songs. I'm going to play a couple of songs uh, that I think are really good in the synthwave scene, what people should be listening to, or if they haven't heard it, what they should be listening to. And um, that's basically it. Maybe feature an album, but it'll, I think we'll keep it with two songs and, and see how we go from there. Rattle a little bit of shit to each other you know and um that's that's really it i guess keep it 80s <laughs> <laughs> all right man well what uh what do you what do you got for me all right first up i wanted to play uh i think probably everybody's already heard this so i prefer to play a little bit more obscure stuff but uh, i just couldn't get past this song andy mitch murder with his new one hardwired it's an amazing track he really is the king of synthwave and this one's got a bit of a darker edge to it, but it's just so impressive. Cool. Well, let's fucking check it out. This is Hardwired by Mitch Murder. Or do you want to do it? Is part of Keeping It 80s with Marco Merrick? <laughs> no, do you no, do, no, the you do it. I don't know. We can, I like that. Keep that in. Keep that in. That was good. <laughs> I love the way you say it. <laughs>
And that was Hardwired by Mitch Murder. And I'm here with Mark O'Mara keeping it 80s. So that is a cool song. Yeah, it really is. Really, is. all the change of pace right at the end there as well. Um, yeah, amazing stuff from uh, Mitch Murder. He really keeps bringing it, doesn't he, Andy? <laughs> 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 We're good at banter. <laughs> hey, I wanted to talk to you about something. You posted a picture on Facebook of, of like ripped jeans and like some hairy ass. Was that actually you? No, it okay. wasn't. I saw, um, I can't remember, I'm in mean, some random groups, dude, and I saw it there and I thought, you know what, I'm just going <laughs> to make everybody laugh. And, and, and I don't mind uh, people laughing at my expense, you know, like I thought most people probably think it is my ass. I don't know. I, there's no way I got a hairy ass like that. Well, that's, that's the thing, because I was so confused because <laughs> I saw this stupid picture. I'm like, there's no way that's his fucking ass. But I mean, like at the same time, I was just like, it was like this fucking like baboon ass. Like that dude has a hairy ass. Uh, anyway. <laughs> If anyone's wondering, there's just it's it's just some picture of like some guy whose jeans have ripped in the in the ass part, and it's just this ass hanging out. Well, now that we're talking about my ass, my ass isn't that hairy at all. <laughs> no, and even then, I, I wax it anyway, so that's just for the record. There you go. <laughs> do you have to have that done? Yeah, I get somebody to do it. Yeah. Is that awkward? You can't do it yourself, Andy. I guess you could do it yourself. I don't know. I'm not an expert on waxing. I would just find that to be like an awkward situation. Trust me, it's great. Smooth as a baby's bottom. Actually, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Well, they are smooth. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't know. (laughs) I shouldn't know. (laughs) Well, you know, babies, right? They don't have hairy asses. So it stands to reason that if a baby doesn't have a hairy ass, they must have a smooth one. True. Unless it's all, like, fucking bumpy with, like, rashes and shit. See, I've got kids, right? So, I mean, you know, you gotta... Mm. As long as they're clean, and they have a bath, and everything's good, then everyone's healthy. And uh, same with me, I suppose, I guess. (laughs) Although I've never had my axe waxed. You should try it, Andy. It's it's the ultimate way to keep it clean. I mean, it's... uh, (laughs) It really is, you know. Give it a try, Andy, you know. <laughs> Keep it 80s. Keep- <laughs> Your partner will love it, too. My business partner. I, try- <laughs> I don't know if my wife will care, but uh, there's a few other partners in my life that I'm sure would love if I had a smooth ass. <laughs> it's good for business, mate. <laughs> yeah. I'll change all the uh, like iTunes artwork and everything for Beyonce, so it's just like fucking pictures of this. my waxed ass, and we'll see if that... <laughs> brings in some more listeners. Well, waxing's definitely better than shaving. I've tried both, and shaving, uh, yeah, it's not a good idea because it comes back all prickly, trust me. Uh, but waxing's the go, mate, yeah. But man, that must hurt like hell. It hurts, yeah. Well, you get used to it. You know what? It's the part that hurts the most. <laughs> oh my God, we're getting running into details. It's actually the very side of the butt cheek, like uh, how to explain it, sort of towards your hip. That's the part that hurts. Right. The most. You think it would be uh, right in the middle, but it's not. It's the part right on the edge. So. <laughs> is it? Waxing tips with Marco. Keeping it 80s. <laughs> is, is, there a, is there a word for that? That part of the ass? There is. I believe that's... Uh, I believe that's... A, is that a Brazilian? I think it's just a Brazilian they call it, don't they? Well, I thought... It, well, Brazilian is just like the bikini line, isn't it? Or am I an idiot? No. No, Brazilian's full no, on. Let me... Can guys get a Brazilian? I always thought a Brazilian was... they fucking can. But isn't some isn't some aspects of the Brazilian the idea that you're waxing around like the labia? Like in a woman? <laughs> I, I, I don't know, Andy. Uh, let me just have a look. Well, because if, if a lady gets... If a ladies get full on wax, right? Because ladies have a lot of folds down there. So waxing is a slightly... It's a complicated avenue of... Gee, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> 
<laughs> Are you doing some internet sleuthing? Yeah, I am. I, I, I always thought that Brazilians were... Uh, I can't really... Why can't I try and finding this shit? It's showing me all uh, all different salons to go... I, I, I'm fine. I've waxed it. But uh, I'm just looking for a definition. All right, hang on. A definition. There we go, Andy. Sorry, mate. Professional here. No, no I want the answer. There's no, there's no uh, shame in wanting answers and asking questions. Actually, I think I, I think I am wrong in this case, Andy. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to admit uh, a technique in which all or most of the pubic hair is removed with a hot wax treatment. So, I mean, you wouldn't call your crack hair uh, pubic hair, would you, really, Andy? That is a good question. Then what is it? It's ass hair. Okay. <laughs> 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 I don't know. <coughs> hmm. Well, we'll uh, we'll get to the bottom of this one of these days. Do you have uh, do you have another track for me? <laughs> yeah, let's play some music. <laughs> uh, listen, there's there's uh, there's been an album that's really been impressing me. Uh, it has been out for a few weeks now. I'm talking about Dead Life's new album called Bionic Chrysalis. Is that how you pronounce it? Chrysalis. Chrysalis. That's how I would say it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, it is available at Laser Discs Records. If you haven't heard it yet, uh, I do advise check it out. It's got a little bit of a modern edge to it, Andy. Um, it's sort of synthwave mixed with—I uh, don't know—it's kind of a bit of variety there, but uh, I think it has got a modern edge as well. But the track I like on it particularly, uh, which I really can't get out of my head, is Aurora. So then, you want me to throw <laughs> to it? <laughs> yeah. Then, if you want to say something, yeah. Yeah, give it a spin, Andy. Go on. <laughs> All right. This is Aurora by Deadlife. <laughs>
And that was Dead Life with the track Aurora on Keeping It 80s with Marco Merrick. Marco's here with me now, and I hear some crazy birds in the background, crazy Australian birds. They're still going. I shut the door and the window. No, that's fine. I like it. It's a, it's a flavor of Australia. <laughs> right? <laughs> Taste of Marco. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why can't I? I've watched that video too many times. <laughs> Someone did bring that up, and uh, that would have also been a great title for this segment as well, A Taste of Marco. That would have been good. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's that was, good. My, that was my favorite part of the video. I loved that part of the video so much. Your reaction? Yeah. Just, the, <laughs> just It's just funny, that's all. A Taste of Marco. <laughs> just they look down like it's so... I love he tried to bait me with that fucking barbecue shit, <laughs> bastard. The shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> There you go. Is that what you wanted me to say? <laughs> yeah. Put a shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> well, no one ever accused me of being creative. That was never one of the... <laughs> By the way, nobody says that in Australia. Like, you just do not hear that. Uh, we don't even call them shrimps. We call them prawns, actually. But do you call them shrimps or prawns? Uh, aren't, are, aren't prawns different things? No, they're the fucking same, man. A prawn is a shrimp? I always thought prawns were bigger than shrimps. No, we call them king prawns. The big ones are king prawns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. The King. Uh, uh, well, let me. I'm googling that too. All right, Andy. This is very proving very educational, not only for the the listeners, but for us too. Over here, we call <laughs> shrimps Brazilians, and we call prawns Ultimo prawns. That's what happens in Canada. Okay, type of Australian prawns. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> king King doesn't refer to size; it refers to species. Mm. So it's literally a species of prawn, which generally are big, which is why I presume they call them king. So. Mm. Sexist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only eat the males, okay? <laughs> I'm going to start a social justice warrior post about uh, changing the name of King Prawns. Everyone can be a prawn. Wait for the feminists to get on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those feminists can get on my King Prawn, if you know what I mean. Oh, no, you're in trouble now, Andy. <laughs> Oh, you just crossed that line, buddy. <laughs> yeah. If it's any consolation, uh, if there's anything I would refer to my penis as, it's not a king prawn. <laughs> uh, I think in that case, I would use the word shrimp. <laughs> not a shrimp burrito? Yeah. <laughs> Prawns. That's a good question. I should look that up. I mean, we say shrimp. We don't say prawn. Mm. But then what's a shrimp then? In Australia, like a shrimp is nothing? It's the same thing, man. It's the same thing. I'm serious. It's just a different word for it. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't even know where shrimp came from. It's, well, you Americans, I tell you, you come up with this shit and then you, you think, then, then you act like we say it or something. It's bizarre. Well, everyone has those fucking cliches. I mean, I, to be fair, I'm Canadian and people do say A. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is something we do. But then everyone says A. I mean, like, British people say A, you know what I mean? Like, when I, I, I see people all over the world say that. The only thing is, in, in terms of, I guess, the equivalent of the Australian cliches is Canadians don't say a boot. Like, I don't know anyone who says a boot, but we do say, like, a boat. Like, when, when I say about, if I say, if I say the word about and I say it very quickly, I might say, like, what are you talking about? Like, I see. But I don't say, what are you talking about? Like, that's, a, no mm. one says that. But then again, every place has weird pronunciations. Like, you'll see Americans, like, making fun of pronunciations. Then they'll say things like rough instead of roof. Mm -hmm. Like, they'll have, like, these, like, double O words that have an oo sound. But then they'll be, like, they'll say, like, rough and hoof, you know, hoof and fucking crick so and true. creep. There's so many different dialects over there. Everybody reckons I say Marco without an R. Like, there's no R, like... Marco, am I really? I'm saying it with an R, but I think Americans really say like 
Marco. Yeah. You know? And I say Marco. <laughs> so everyone's like, you're missing out the R. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Here's your R, motherfucker. Yeah, no, I got you. Well, listen, let's... Oh, uh, back to the shrimp. Sorry, one more thing. No, we've got to fucking oh, yeah, okay. answer to this. Mm. I'm looking up shrimp and prawns. They're actually... Are two different types of seafood. Shrimp and prawns belong to different suborders of Decapoda. They're similar in appearance, but they're interchangeable in commercial farming and wildlife fisheries. There you go. So they're kind of the same thing, but they're not. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Because I figured there must have been a reason why there's this distinction, right? Yeah, you were right. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I always figured prawns, prawns to me looked weirder. Is that wrong really? to say? Like that, that prawns almost, maybe it's just because they're bigger. I don't like crustaceans. There are they crustaceans? I don't like crustaceans, even if they're not. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. Don't discriminate. Hey, man. <laughs> well, uh, we'll wrap this up for now. But uh, it's been lovely to talk to you, and it's uh, wonderful to have you aboard uh, the Beyond Synth train. And uh, <laughs> that's it, man. So uh, give me some parting words here. Actually, I know we didn't plan for this, but do you want to play a third song? Is that going to throw you off? All right. Well, in that case, I'm keeping it dark this week. So uh, you threw me off a little bit, Andy. There, I was expecting two, but this is great. I get three. <laughs> so let's play Garth Knight's new track, Pursuit. Uh, now, this is some awesome stuff. Kind of uh, darker, outrun kind of stuff. But it's got a lot of energy to it, Andy. Love it. So let's fucking listen to it. And it's been lovely talking to you this week, Marco. And we will uh, talk to you again next week on Keeping the Dates with Marco Merrick. Uh, this is Garth Knight. In the track Pursuit. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. See you, everyone. <laughs> Thank you.
And that was Garth Knight with the track Pursuit. It's a cool track, and that was, of course, uh, Keeping It 80s with Mark O'Merrick, and we're going to be doing that every week now. So I hope you like stories about fucking prawns, because <laughs> that's all we're ever going to talk about. So now let's uh, go to the Patreon and uh, thank my lovely uh, Pattersons who donate to the show, and then we'll uh, we'll talk to Brendan McDonald. So let's go to the Patreon. So, as you know, Beyond Synth has a Patreon, okay? That's a way you can donate money to help out the show. Every donation helps. Uh, you can donate $1 a month, uh, up to whatever you want. And, of course, uh, the more you donate, you get some uh, some shitty prizes. Most of those you can see on YouTube, because uh, people who donate $10 or more for a little bit of time, I make them some custom YouTube thank you videos and stuff like that. All tailored to the person. I put a lot of work into those fucking things. <laughs> It's ridiculous, considering that fucking 10 people watch them. But that's not the point. The point is that I'm thankful for everyone for donating to the show. So we're going to start today with my $5 donors. There's Kai and Saloya, Joe and Lando, Roman, Devious Raven, Bobby B, John Eternal, Dougie Fresh, Lame Robot, Mono Memory, Florence Bullock, Matthew Lister, Simon Norberg, Vailingo, New Gat Ninja, Mike Shima, The Rosconian, Night Raptor, Stu M, Ross Pentland, Dana Jean Phoenix, Tristan Waits, Rawl Pud, Aled, Grant Bouvier, Ethan Hennings, X Riz Music, and new donor, Barons of Santa Carla. Thank you, Barons of Santa Carla, for donating to Beyond Synth. I recognize you from Twitter. This guy's been listening to Beyond Synth for many, many years, and his thumbnail image looks like Keanu Reeves with a beard. <laughs> Whenever I. <laughs> Look at that picture. I thought it was Keanu Reeves, and then I blew it up. I'm like, oh, I see that it's not. Well, I blew it up. I meant I zoomed it in. I didn't explode the picture. But uh, thanks, dude, for your support. Uh, It means a lot to me, and of course, for listening to the show all these years. That's cool. He decided, as a baron, it was his duty to... uh, I mean baron as in, like, like baron, like status, not baron as in he can't have children. Wait, so if a guy... Can a guy be baron? Is Is that a thing? I always see that expression used with women, but I mean, because when guys don't can't do it, they they shoot blanks, right? But we don't refer to that as a male being barren, do we? Do we? <laughs> do we? As if this is like a common conversation. Thank you for your support. Sorry to bring up infertility. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the donation of the beast. These are the lovely people who donate six dollars and sixty six cents a month because of Satan, and that is Hellroy, Lucas Ceballos, Blake. Peterson and Carm. Thank you for the donation of the beast. And of course, Max Hutchings with the donation of the beast adjacent 667, which by his reckoning means he is good because he's, he's not in the evil category. I'm not sure if that, uh, 
if that flies with me, but uh, whatever. And then my lovely $10 Pattersons. We've got Jake Last, Trevor Resnick, Colin Bennett, Fraser Davidson, Victor Garza, Ezra Van Dam, Winfield, Will Lowe, Nathaniel Rivera, Polly Digital, Angry Rambo Show, Slunks, <laughs> fucking Slunks, Greg Smith, Ashley Keegan, Tim Walmsley, Tom Robinson, and Jacob Wick, who's just boosted his donation to $22.88. And there's a reason. Jacob says, I changed my donation amount. The dollar amount is the day I was born, and the cents are the year. I also enjoy the sort of symmetry of the double numbers. I figured you'd want to know. Well, thanks, Jacob Wick. I did want to know. And in fact, if all of you want to write me a personal message to explain exactly why you're donating the amount you are, I would love to know. And of course, the king of the Pattersons this week, Chris Dance, with a $25 donation. He is the king of the Pattersons, and that makes him the king of all of you. And that, my friends, is the Patreon. So let's uh, listen to a track, and then... uh talk podcast production so here's a track i haven't listened to in a while but it is still awesome this is magic sword with the track battlefield
And that was Battlefield by Magic Sword. Uh, it's a great track. Magic Sword is awesome. Uh, if you dig Magic Sword, they've been on the show a few times. And uh, you should go back into the archive and listen, because uh, those are fun shows. Anyways, guys, now time for some nerdy podcast talk. And there's some more music in there for you fucking idiots, but uh, for everybody else... there. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard the sound of like reverse cash registers of people started pulling their money out of the Patreon. Don't worry, I swear, you're not idiots. Well, some of you guys are, but uh, <laughs> I'm not a good businessman, by the way. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's uh, go to my talk with Brendan McDonald, the producer of WTF. Yeah, how, how, how am I on my end? The microphone okay yeah that sounds fine uh my show is mostly done on skype so i have to deal with these things all the time like there's always fucking problems there there was one point where skype they updated their software and removed the ability to adjust the volume oh man it's like itunes i don't know are you a mac guy or a pc yeah guy? yeah i'm a mac guy yeah you know so like every three weeks it's someone's job to like change itunes right I don't know what the thinking is or the logic if it's like, well, you, you know, the play button is usually in the corner, so we're going to move it to the opposite end and at the bottom and change the shape of the button so no one recognizes it anymore. And Skype was doing the same thing. Like, they just switch things around for no reason and remove functionality like that's some sort of improvement. Right. A lot of times I think it's like uh, like like two focus groups worth of uh, someone saying something and then they, they make the change. I, I mean, I'm not an old man, but sometimes I feel like one where I'm just like, you know, it was fine before. Or, you know, like, and I, I don't see, I haven't seen an improvement in iTunes since, like, the first one. Like, I don't know what's, after they figured out playlists and stuff, I, it hasn't been an improvement, but there's been about 40 iterations since then. Yeah, and they, they seem to get more frustrating. For yeah. People. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fucking, I, I, like, I, I don't get it. I wish I did. I would love to one day, like, just sit down with the dude who's, jo- unless it's all about confusion, like, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. And this happens all the time with my editing software and everything. Every time they do an update to the operating system of a Mac, it it fucks up the one thing that I do. Yeah. Always. Every, like, without fail, they'll just be like, oh, you like using Final Cut? Uh, not anymore <laughs> until we <laughs> until we patch the operating. They're like, well, that's great. But now you can use Siri. I'm right. like, well, f- wicked. Anyway. <laughs> How's it going? Good, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for getting in touch with me. I mean, I've been a fan of WTF since the beginning, and that's like the one podcast I've listened to like every episode of. Oh wow! Although I'm usually about two months behind because I yeah <laughs> I listen I listen to I you know I have maybe like eight podcasts you know like on rotation when I do chores and shit and WTF I've listened to from the start. There's three podcasts in my life that I listen to without fail regardless of who the guest is, and so WTF is one of those where I've just always found it really engaging and interesting. Okay, because even other podcasts that I listen to a lot of like at one point like you know I used to also listen to like the Nerdist for example, and then there was this point where they started doing like three episodes a week. Oh right right right, and that actually in a weird way made me listen to it less oh of course no we we see that happen we've had times where for instance at the end of last year there was like a big push for us to do some more episodes because there were just like a lot of advertisers that couldn't get inventory like we just didn't have enough for them mm-hmm. with what we were do and so we decided okay we'll do six more at the end of the year but you know they won't be w like they won't be wtf because we don't want that we don't want to cannibalize ourselves that way 
we did these short, shorter episodes that were things people had never heard before, and Mark kind of putting them into context of mm-hmm. what they were. But it hurt us across the board. Like, I mean, it didn't hurt us in the sense that we got that advertising, but the the numbers of the Monday and Thursday shows went down, and it's just because of volume. And we've always seen it. We've always known that that happens. And it's like, uh, you know, don't mess with a good thing. Like two is a two seems to be a good number. Like people can find their way through two a week. An argument could be made that those bonus episodes that you released, because I did listen to those. So I I might still be two months behind, but I but I did listen to those those special WTFs. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why uh, I thought to get in touch, because I listened to the um, the now hear this uh, one you guys did. But there's also that idea that those were kind of weird sort of releases and that maybe that's the reason you know like that you know that that would be i i'm willing to believe that in the first place like that that would be that's usually my argument to people when they ask us to do extra things or bonus things i'm like well the people have their routine and this is like a bonus thing and it's deliberately like off brand or it's we're saying this was something that that didn't go the way we planned it to and so People might be inclined to just not listen to it for that reason. The thing that I notice is it affects the other episodes. Right. You know, you, you'll have an episode where with a guest who, and at this time, at this point, we've done almost 800. So I can generally tell you what numbers any given episode is going to get. You know, with, with very rare exceptions, am I surprised right. that something has overperformed or underperformed. But those six weeks of episodes, they consistently underperformed. Now, a combination of that, too, is we, we know that that tends to happen uh, around the holidays as we you know get further into December. Right. Uh, people stop listening. But that, that's kind of baked into my estimation of, you know, in the forecast of what the what these episodes will do. And and I just there's no there was no real other explanation for, you know, an episode where I would see it as you know, probably being about a hundred thousand downloads off, uh, other than to be like, oh well, people are—it's too much. Like, especially a busy time of the year is too much for them to have three things. And I think what winds up happening is what what you're saying is—it's not even a sense of you pick and choose. Oh well, I, w- I won't listen to those new ones. I'll just listen to the old ones. You wind up going, this show's kind of overwhelming me, and you put you put it on pause. Like that—that's. I've found myself doing that at times. So when you then calculate numbers, then, is that the most important thing? Is like that sort of those initial numbers? I mean, does it not matter to you the accumulation over like the next months? We do a forecasting period for our advertisers that usually lasts about two and a half months. So, yeah, we don't tend to overanalyze like the initial numbers they are what they are but my general projection is always like what's this going to pan out to by the end of that reporting period right and and that's you know that's what we set our ad rates to we're pretty conservative with them like my feeling has been and this is like goes way back to when i was basically like selling all the ads myself just kind of cold calling places and seeing if they wanted to buy time and i would always kind of under promise you know what we could deliver the feeling being that if we're not making the full value of what that episode's listenership is because we've sold it to an advertiser at a forecast that's lower than what we delivered i would rather do that and then still have the freedom to book whatever the hell we want and to have whatever type of show we want than to promise at the highest level of what we can deliver and then consistently have to worry about delivering at that level, which, you know, hamstrings Mark when he wants to, you know, 
talked to a friend of his from his 20s who went on to become a music manager. And, and, and nobody will know who John Daniel is, but that's a pretty fascinating episode. And we, we wouldn't have been able to do that if we're guaranteeing you know, a million downloads an episode. Right. And I guess it's a different story when you have like a big guest, you know, like Obama or, or Bruce Springsteen. And I I want to talk about that. But first, uh, we're going to listen to some music. So this is a track by Glitbiter. This is Airship.
And that was Airship by Glitbiter off the Short Stories EP. And I am back here uh, with Brendan McDonald, the producer of WTF. And we were talking about dealing with advertisers on the show, you know, when you have regular guests. So what happens when you know you've got a big one? Does that change? Like, do you set that episode aside and go like, okay, this guest is guaranteed a huge number. We're going to... We've done that. We've done that a handful of times. Like, we did that with Bruce Springsteen this past month. And uh, it's it's usually just a timing thing. If we know well enough in advance and we can clear the inventory from that episode or if it's an episode that's in the clear already, uh, then great. And then we'll, you know, ratchet up the rate. But we've only done that about a handful of times. There's just some where it becomes you, you, you wind up playing pin the tail on the donkey if you do it. And I also when it comes to flexibility, I also just like to have the flexibility to move episodes around sure and you know when i start locking too many in on too many dates that's when i start to get nervous because you know some great booking might come through but we don't have any you know upcoming spots that we can slot them into and they're you know this person who we've always wanted to talk to is only doing it because they're out promoting x y or z you know right it's, it's a little bit, a bit of a balancing act to keep our schedule you know, both accommodating and flexible. And is that something where uh, if you if you have that example, like the Bruce Springsteen one, do you sort of just go to your regular advertisers and just say, hey, you know, we got this big episode coming up? Or do you just sort of like keep the slate clean and just change the rates or something? Like, how does that work exactly? You know, myself personally, I, I you know, we, we all of our ads are handled through an outside agency. Uh, called Midroll, and they, you know, they, they're the ones that deal with all the ad accounts now. You know, w- they're filling all our inventory, so I just go to them and say, "Here's the deal: Can you sell this at a premium rate?" And they say, "Sure, we can." And then come back and say, "You know, who's filling that slot or whatever?" Or, you know, in the instance of having uh, President Obama on, that I knew fairly well in advance, but I couldn't tell anybody. So. I was able to tell them, look, I am going to tell you that we have an episode coming up in this date. I cannot tell you who it is. And even if you guess who it is, I will lie to you and tell you that you're (laughs) wrong. But that being said, you can assume that it's a very big guest. And I'm telling you, it will guarantee at least, you know, X number of downloads. So what I'd like to do is not sell ads on that episode. But if someone know, if one of our clients knowing that this is a big deal would like to be a presenting sponsor of it that basically allows us to not have any uh, ads within the body of the episode, that would be great. And they they sold that very fast. So that was like a pretty good indicator to me that these clients are understanding the value properties here and they can make a pretty quick decision like that didn't ha- it didn't require a lot of hemming and hawing over whether or not that's a good you know a value spend for them mm-hmm. they did it right away with squarespace who did that one and at the time they were spending a lot of money on podcasts and i could have very easily seen them saying like well no, we're spread out on you know dozens and dozens of different podcasts we don't have to worry about that but sure but the fact that it happened so quickly made me realize like okay like as long as i don't abuse this there is a desire for these kind of high value targets one thing i've always found interesting and Comparing, say, the different podcasts, you know, I personally listen to, has there ever been an issue with an advertiser? Because Mark, um, I mean, he keeps them like they're sort of like light and funny and stuff. He doesn't go too weird with them 
yeah where i would say comparatively i don't know i mean you know comedy bang bang right with a scott ackerman yeah where sometimes he does ad reads that are like bonkers right and i'm just wondering like have you ever had an issue where you know an advertiser says hey maybe don't say some of that stuff in that way when you're reading the ad no we've never had it never had anything like that hinge to mark's like personality or his particular read mm. like of course advertisers come to us initially with branding stuff and messaging stuff that they say say this but that has nothing to do with us like it's usually just something that they want to avoid attaching to their brand overall like if they're a you know you know a ticket seller they're like you know please don't compare us to StubHub you know or something like right. that right you know don't don't even bring StubHub up cuz like <laughs> someone will be like hey you know this thing is great it's way better than StubHub you know and they they just they'll give us that note in the first place so that we don't say it but it's never like you know Mark tends to swear a lot let's not have him swear you know or anything like that some of the ad reads like encourage it they say say whatever the fuck you want and they yeah. say that <laughs> in the ad read so we're like okay I guess they want this to be edgy mm-hmm. and even with that we don't Mark, like, Mark doesn't change it up any he's not like ooh an edgy ad read and he'll do that he's just gonna keep it true to himself so yeah in the general question no we've never been told like the sponsor's unhappy with that and we just kind of follow whatever their guidance is and mark will do it in his own way i gotta say the um <laughs> that, that bit from the uh, now hear this uh, festival where you guys uh, were on stage talking about the behind the scenes of the show those clips of mark swearing like not getting the ad read right yeah was fucking awesome like that yeah <laughs> that was so I, funny I, I was very happy to be able to share that because it's one of those things like i can't ever like put that into the show it makes no sense out of context but uh yeah that was a great uh, that was i was very happy that i was able to kind of let people have a peek at that i'll be there for a live show with my producer brendan mcdonald plus more shows like plus more shows you love like the moth just fuck me just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into zip recruiters easy just post once and watch your qual fucking cunt it stars real comedians and real life wives cameron esposito and ria butler butcher fucking cunt squarespace gives you all the tools you need Squarespace gives you all the tools. Cunt. And if you want to sell stuff on your site, Squarespace gives you all the tools. Oh my God. Fucking balls. And if you want to sell stuff on your site, Squarespace gives you all the tools you need for top knot. God fucking cunt. Now, Midroll didn't exist when you guys started, right? That's right, although Midroll is the brainchild of Jeff Ulrich, who is the guy behind Comedy Bang Bang, and then which turned into, you know, the entire Earwolf network. And then Jeff, you know, who is who's partners with Scott Aukerman, mm-hmm. decided to start a platform that was exclusively to sell ads to podcasts. Right. So, although... WTF predates mid-roll. We were kind of doing on the same almost parallel track with Jeff throughout his development and, and evolution in podcasting. And and in those early days, we were everyone was sharing ideas and going on each other's shows and talking with each other about, well, what do you guys need? What do you think makes things better? What makes things worse? And so we kind of saw it coming and had enough time to test things out and see what ways we like things to work, which ways we didn't. So by the time I think it was 2014 was our first year with a contract with Midroll, 
by the time that rolled around, we were, we were pretty secure in knowing that was the like right way for us to go. Well, all this talk about uh, podcast advertising makes me want to uh, listen to some more music, and then maybe we'll talk about the actual uh, production of WTF. So this is a cool track. This is by Meteor off the Inner Demon album. This is Ignition.
And that was Ignition by Meteor off the album Inner Demon. And today I am chatting with Brendan McDonald, who is the producer of WTF with Mark Marin. And uh, we talked a bunch about podcast advertising. So now I want to talk more specifically about WTF and uh, the production. I mean, you know, th- this is why I got in touch with you because, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, mostly comedy and a few, you know, science and things like that. And I-, I know there are these rules, you know, to to running a successful podcast, like making sure you deliver it regularly, which is a rule I always break. And also there's this idea that if the content is good, people are going to sort of listen anyways, regardless of certain technical things. Like, I mean, if you have something interesting to say or whatever that, you know, you, you can find an audience. I've listened to a lot of podcasts, but, you know, like, podcasts like Nerdist and Comedy Bang Bang and uh, some things like on those networks. And I've always found, and I always knew there was this difference because I, was, I would listen to WTF. And I go, okay, well, this is Mark. And obviously, you know, he's got his personality and he's talking to comedians and stuff. But when I compared it to the other podcasts that were doing the same thing, technically, right? You know, a comedian host interviewing people. I just knew like... There's something more going on to the production of this thing. And Mark never talks about it. In fact, a lot of people never, they very rarely mention their sort of their silent partner. I mean, Mark does mention you from time to time on the show. But I've noticed that that sort of, that that seems to be a pattern of a lot of these successful podcasts is that there's a sort of front man and then there's a sort of behind the scenes dude. Oftentimes I thought that behind the scenes dude was more of like a business guy. But in the case of WTF, I just knew like... There's production going on here. These conversations are being, I'm going to say, cleaned up or whatever, because they the conversations always just seemed so focused. And maybe, maybe it just is that Mark's just a really great interviewer. But I always, I always just felt like, no, there's something more here because of all the podcasts, I can listen to WTF. He can interview anybody, people I've never heard of. You know, these old rock musicians that he loves that I don't know who the hell they are. And I've always just known that there's been this sort of like this focus to the conversation. It's always been very sort of tightly produced. And that's why I wanted to talk to you and get in touch with you about that because uh, I was just curious as to the sort of the process that you go through putting together an episode. And that's a really long-winded question, but <laughs> it's, it's sort of a question. Well, no, I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of listening intently to what you're saying because it's very astute and, you know, two very quick things about it. It's like, one, you're right that not a lot of people pick up on that or it almost seems like it's not intended to be picked up on. And, like, the truth is, like, I would say you're both, you're absolutely right about what you're saying in terms of there being direct attention on the production of this show, which will shape it and give it the life that it needs in concert with Mark's personality. That is absolutely true. It is also true that, like, to me, a public perception of that is not only unnecessary, but detrimental to the enjoyment of the show. Sure. So, And that's not to say that, like, I'm not like the equivalent of a ghostwriter. I'm not being handed a, a piece of crap that then I'm using bells and whistles to make it good. Mm. I, I, I've always likened it to the work that a film editor does. And in particular, like if you look at a uh, person like Martin Scorsese, he has the editor, uh, film a schoolmaker, who he's worked with on every film. Mm-hmm. And they have a la- shared language that they use. And his films wouldn't be what they are without her contribution. And quite frankly, she's helping him shape his vision as he moves forward, knowing in his mind, knowing what he knows that he can do 
Since he has that steady hand and that trusted confidant and collaborator with him, he knows what he can do moving forward. So I, I consider my relationship with Mark and our, our working relationship to be very similar to that. And I think the origin of it was all due to our the necessities of how we had to work on live daily national morning radio, which is hyper-produced uh, with the intention of communicating extreme casualness, especially in the morning. Right. You listen to morning radio and the, the goal is that it sounds like a bunch of people just hanging out and helping you, giving you a little guided hand through your day as you, you know, sip your coffee. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work at the worst time of the day. Like <laughs> brain has to be really firing at four and five in the morning. Like that's when like the most work gets done. You just have to develop a good sense of of the people you work with. And Mark really, really learned how to do radio well in two years of doing that. That's actually something that people who worked for a long time in radio noticed at the time, said, wow, he's really good at this. He picked it up really fast. Like there's a lot of stuff here that's very difficult, that's not easily taught. It has to be absorbed. And he did it very quickly. So that was always my motivating factor to continue working with him is that I liked the work that we did on the radio and I knew that he was up to the challenge. I knew that he was not just someone being propped up by us, us being the producers. I knew that it was because of his talent and his immersion in the medium that he could do it well. So when we started WTF, like the intention was just to kind of do a podcast version of what we've been doing on the radio. And I think you heard me mention on that now here in this festival, you know, the, the initial episodes were very segmented. The interview itself was not paramount. In fact, it was almost done as an afterthought because we need we knew we needed like some names to draw some attention to the show. Well, yeah, no, I was just going to say, because I mean, I remember, because um, I've listened since, you know, the beginning. I think there was a point where, as far as podcasting goes, right? Okay, we all listened to the Ricky Gervais one. Yes. And then I went looking for something else. I had, I had a boring job at the time, and I was like, I wanted content, you know? And so I think I did like a search. I just did a, a one of those like best comedy podcasts, you know? And I think right. th- there was an article that was released around that time, like some b- blog somewhere. And that was probably when Mark was at like episode 38 or something, you know, something yeah, like that. That's about right. So then that's when I picked up on the show and I downloaded all the, the back episodes. And uh, yeah, that was the time when you would have, you would even have people come on playing characters. That's right. We wound up feeling like we were like on Comedy Bang Bang's turf with that stuff. And we, right. You know, it was... It, 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 it revealed itself fairly early on, you know, what was unique to the show and what wasn't. And that was great for us. Like, we did we did the same thing on the radio. Like, you're going every day. You're feeding the coal into the fire. You're going to try things. You're not. Gonna, and I'm not saying we were ripping anyone off. You just try things, and then you do it, and you're like, hey, that doesn't feel like us. You know, that feels like somebody else. You right. Know? And, okay, so that's fine. Let's go in this direction. Let's go in that direction. You know, it became pretty obvious that the thing that was happening most vividly was Mark having conversations with people in ways that they did not have conversations on other locations, other platforms, other shows. So it didn't take much of an adjustment to say, okay, this is... Let's work on this more. Let's have, let's see what other types of people will come on. Let's see what other types of conversations we can have. Then to tie that back in with production, if you think about how, like from a producer's mindset, what would have to happen with those early episodes? 
basically we just recorded a bunch of stuff in all types of different things monologues that mark was doing and then conversations with friends and movie reviews and well various things like that mm-hmm. interviews mark talked to his dad and his mom on the phone yeah. <laughs> uh, read, you know, reading letters from the audience and reading comments off of itunes and all of these things and i remember the before we ever had one episode in the can we had enough for about like 11 shows just material right and i said okay what i'm gonna do this weekend i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna make three shows and they'll all be different but they'll all be kind of in the same dna let's then listen to those see if we like them and if that's good we'll release those and then we'll keep going in that direction and that that's what, what, what we did that's what worked and in fact oddly what had wound up happening was we made those three shows we liked them but those episodes became like episodes one three and five we immediately went back in and we're doing more stuff which were like became episodes like two and four and so we had this grab bag way of approaching it from the start but then very quickly zeroed in on what we wanted to do and kind of created the show out of all these puzzle pieces Mm -hmm. and i'm a like a puzzle guy like that's my that's the way my brain works so when it comes time to do the interviews and when they start to obviously become a more integral part of the show i'm taking the same approach with those that I took with those initial episodes. And Mark is taking the same approach when he does them, and he still does to this day. He might sit in there with someone for two, two and a half hours, and he's not doing it with the intention of us running a two and a half hour interview. And he's also not doing it with the intention of just like, I don't know what I'm doing here, you figure it out. He will sometimes let things go down a path that he knows is not that productive. But if he feels it's going to allow him to swing himself back around to something that is on the point and on the narrative that that we're getting to, you know, he affords himself the ability to do that, knowing that I have a very good ear for picking that up and being able to say, oh, okay, I hear the arc of this interview of this person's life. And uh, here are the important things. Here are the interesting things. You know, it's another benefit of being on a podcast, Mm. not having a format clock is that you can say, well, you took him on that tangent, but that was actually really interesting. Let's leave that in. So all of those things are just kind of the, the spices that make the soup. And the, the, the base of it really is the uh, ability of me to know what a story is, right? And Mark knows that in the moment. Like he's sitting there talking to this person. You know, I'll often get a text from him right after he does an interview and he says like, that was good, but it took me like, it took like 20 minutes. Like it took 20 minutes to figure it out, you know, or he'll say, you know, I just gave you one, it's two hours, but it's all in there. Like you'll get it. It's all in there. You know, a big part of it too is something that can't be passed on or taught. And it's just that he and I have a kind of uh, symbiosis in this now. We know how the other one works and we don't have to say it. And so we just do the work knowing what gets wrapped around it. And and the benefit of doing, you know, an in-person interview, I imagine, is it's a great way to gauge the, uh-huh. you know, the overall feeling of a conversation. Actually, That's I right. want to talk a bit more about that, but uh, we got to listen to some more music and uh, and then we'll talk about that after. So this is a track by Let Em Riot. Uh, this is Say What You Need to Say.
for something, honestly You'll be alright, just hold on See what you need to say That was Say What You Need to Say by Let em Riot. And if you uh, like that, you can go back and listen to the Let em Riot episode of Beyond Synth. But right now, I am chatting with Brendan McDonald, who is the producer of WTF. And uh, we were talking about doing interviews. And obviously, having a live conversation you know, two people in the same room, does create a certain dynamic. Because uh, from my own experience... I mean, and again, I need to <laughs> preface, I'm a very, very small fry podcaster, so uh, I'm aware of my place and all this, but whatever. Because I love editing. Like, that's something I enjoy doing a lot. For me, I actually do so much to shape a conversation because I've I've been inspired, you know, by things like WTF, where the conversation just flows so well. And part of that, I know, is when you're when you have two people in the same room, you sort of have that rapport and there's a speed, there's a there's a flow to the conversation. A lot of podcasts I listen to that record over Skype, they annoy the hell out of me. Like sometimes I listen to them because I enjoy the content. But the flow of conversation being consistently broken is a really frustrating thing for my ear. Right. Because over Skype, you've got that delay. If there are people trying to be funny with each other, someone says a joke and then it takes somebody else like two seconds to laugh. The whole thing breaks. Yeah, but yeah, that, that's why we don't do it. I mean, it's 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 that exact reason. Like we, you know, we insist that people be there live. You know, Mark will do a phoner with someone who's been on before, and they just want to call in for ten minutes as a favor. You know, Mark wants to you know do them a solid so they can promote their special or book or movie. Mm-hmm. But those don't last more than ten minutes. You know, the, I think people are well aware of what those are yes um have to put too many circles around it but the biggest reason we we don't do you know phone interviews skype interviews is that the necessary connection that people make sitting across from each other is going to be the reason people listen that might not be the stated purpose that people listen but that's the reason that's Mm -hmm. the thing burrows into their head and makes them think that it's a, a special show and for me that's that's it's interesting sort of hearing those the way that those shows are sort of put together because i've only done a handful of ones with people in the same room i i'm part of a very niche scene super super niche and there's like you know three it's musicians who make like retro 80s sounding music like it's fucking niche as shit and there's like you know three people from this city so it's a very international sort of scene right i spend a lot of time i'd be curious to know how much time you actually spend on an episode for me I mean, sometimes it's upwards of like 10, 15 hours a show because I actually like I will remove all the spaces. I'll remove whatever I need to do in order to make the conversation flow the way a conversation should flow. So I'm actually like shaping this thing, even though it still ends up just sounding like, you know, a phone call, because also I'm also talking to people who aren't professional talkers necessarily. And it's my job to sort of make them 
come across the best that they can. Whereas obviously, you, when you have the advantage of like comedians talking to comedians, people who love to talk, uh, I imagine that also sort of like helps the flow of the conversation. Yeah. But in terms of your workflow, I mean, like, how much time do you think you put into, like, a typical episode? From start to finish, even, like, uploading and all that shit. Well, you know, start to finish, it's probably, like, five hours. I find that, you know, on a, a pretty solid episode, like, if it's an interview Mark did, that, that's fairly straightforward. And I don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting with the edit. You know, I could get that whole thing done in three hours. But, the, you know, again, it's just like, I can't even wrap my head around the fact that we've done almost 800 of these. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> so bizarre. Like, I feel like the other day we had the comedian Nick Thune. He came back to, you know, do a shorter interview with Mark, and he had been on once before and I was like oh yeah I remember that episode that was a little while ago and I went back and looked and it was like one episode 183 <laughs> it's almost it's, it's five years ago now so I have no real concept of how we've done 800 of them but I do know that having done 800 of them it must allow for the mechanisms to happen fairly second nature at this point and so I hear all those things that you are talking about when I'm going through the edit you know the gaps of space or redundancies and that but it, it's now my fingers almost take them out before my brain registers them you know what i mean like it, it they just it happens so fast right i i found uh the more you look at it when it when it becomes that sort of routine that like i can look at the screen and see the waveforms for things like um yeah. and like uh you know some people use those words a lot like Man, like I just did, <laughs> like, um, and uh, now I can actually spot them with my eye. Right, I, I edit almost forty percent on site, which is I would say is probably a lot mm. for an audio editor. I can see things as the waveforms progressing, and I know where the edit's going to come. Sometimes, also, there's a there's a drama to someone struggling with an idea or something. Like you know, you use your judgment to keep certain things in. I mean, sometimes someone stumbles, but there's like almost a reason why they're stumbling, mm -hmm. and maybe that should stay. Whereas sometimes when someone's just yeah. their brain isn't firing and they just sit there like um my rule is just always like that's got to be something that of, of value for whoever's listening sure you know a stumble or a, sometimes a pause is the greatest thing in the world mm -hmm. but sometimes a pause is deliberately misleading because they paused because they dropped their pencil and they were reaching yeah. down <laughs> You didn't hear any of that, sure. but you hear a very long pause before a fairly straightforward answer and think, why did it take him so long to get that out, right? So, yeah, I'm not trying to augment any reality when I do the edit, sure. but I'm definitely trying to make the most listenable version of the conversation that they had so that you're listening to it. It's the most compelling possible version of these two people talking, but that the people talking would never listen to it and go like, oh my God, our conversation was nothing like that. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I, I do it because the situation of what I do necessitates it. Whereas when I, obviously, like when I hear a show like WTF, there's no part of me that ever goes like, oh, this was, this was fake. It always feels real and genuine. For me, it's, in, in my podcast, it's about creating those moments because the technology is the thing that's like in between me and who I'm talking to. Right. And the Skype delay is like, it's huge in sort of killing flow. Yeah. And I've always just, you know, when I listen to great conversations, that was always my goal. And it's like, okay, well, if I can't do this because of Skype, I'm going to fucking 
go in there and tweak it so it does sound that way. Yeah, sure. I, I never really change anything or, you know, like, warp what people said, although it would be fucking funny to do, like, <laughs> Simpson style and just, like, cut different segments of their sentence and make them say a different thing. Yeah. Somebody had to take the babysitter home. Then I noticed she was sitting on her sweet can. I grab her sweet can. Oh, just thinking about her can. I just wish I had her sweet, 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 sweet can. So, Mr. Simpson. You admit you grabbed her can. So WTF to me has always been one of those sort of goals. And what I like about it, it doesn't sound heavily produced necessarily. Right. It's just that there is this production going on in the background. It's not like an NPR thing where like every 20 minutes it like plays a musical interlude and some guy like reflects on the conversation and describes the diner or whatever. Like it just, it sounds like a real conversation. And that's always been super inspiring. But I've always known deep down that there was other stuff going on because when I would listen to shows like Nerdist or other things like that, I always use that as the go-to example. But, you know, I can hear there being a difference even though it's sort of the same basic premise. Well, and I think a lot of that is, um, and this is no slight onto anyone who's doing any of the production work on those shows, but I think a lot of times you're, the people who are creating the final mix down that winds up being uh, uploaded onto a podcast feed, they may be great editors, but they're not necessarily uh, editorial producers. Nor should they be. Mm. You know, a show may deliberately hire a person to do the editing on their show and to create the final product, knowing that the host is the person who is the full editorial guidelines on that episode or or an executive producer that doesn't touch a bit of editing equipment, you know? Sure. So I think it's a... I don't want to say it's rare, actually. I don't know what everyone's dynamic is with their producer. But I definitely know it's unique for Mark and I to be in a situation where... Um, you know, we have this kind of shared vision of what the show should be. We have this full understanding of what each other's strengths are and, and how we best work. And I'm at the same time the guy who can talk him through direction and vision of, a, of an episode or of an interview or of the next four months that we're doing and be the guy who cuts it all. So whether or not other people share that, I, I have no way to weigh in on that. But I know for us, and I you know can sit back most of the time and go, oh, thankfully we have that setup, we have that dynamic. Yeah, when you have a partnership that actually works, I mean, I imagine it's a <laughs> it's a great thing. Yeah, um, we're gonna listen to some more music and then we'll. Uh We'll keep talking. So this is a track by Street Cleaner uh, off the album Payback 2. This is Axe to Grind.
And that was Axe to Grind by Street Cleaner off the Payback 2 album. And I am here today uh, chatting with Brendan McDonald, who is the producer of uh, WTF with Mark Marin. And uh, we were talking about your, your team dynamic with Mark. And uh, I was wondering about your individual responsibilities. Because you mentioned before about how, you know, you had a guest come on next to you and he hadn't been on in so many years. Now, is it up to both of you to sort of have this, have a knowledge of the entire history of your show or do you ever like send mark a note and just say hey you know remember you know this dude was on episode like you know 100 or whatever like yeah oddly it's never come up yet and i'm not saying it never will but it's never come up that like one of us doesn't remember someone who's been on even with 700 almost 800 guests or more than that considering we had several shows with multiple guests there's enough recall left between the two of us that we both know (laughs) you know what the episodes were now i don't think he would have a problem with me saying that i have a better memory recall than he does Mm -hmm. and i don't think he'd have a problem with that because i have like kind of an unnatural one like I, i remember almost everything so there have been times where he's had someone on that he had on before like i like bill burr for instance there's been lots actually where, where they've talked about something they've already talked about on the earlier episode and like neither of them remember bringing it up because it's probably a story the other person's told a lot and it was probably something that was so long ago didn't register with mark and they'll talk about it again and then i'll have to say to him hey you know that whole part where you guys talked about that that's on our earlier episode <laughs> And I remember Bill Burr because that was one where he talked about something that they had talked about once before, but it was too funny. And I was like, I know you guys talked about this already, even though you both didn't remember it, but I'm going to leave it in because it's just so funny. Like if people heard it already, fine. You know, it's like hearing a joke again. Who cares? But part of that recall for you could also be the fact that you're just the editor, right? I mean, so you, you pour over this stuff multiple times, whereas like when Mark experienced it in the moment, sends you the audio and then... And you probably go through it like two, three, four times, like, you know, listening back. And he's always in the same location. Every, You know, nothing changes around him necessarily other than time and the person he's looking at, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm in many different look. Like, I can almost without fail tell you where I was when I was intervie- when I was editing a particular interview. Sometimes I'll be in places like a coffee shop or something and have a memory of like, Oh yeah, I was like doing that Big J Okerson interview in here, or something like that. You know, <laughs> so uh, for me, I get a lot more uh, sense memory that drives things and context clues for things that he's not privy to. I'm just curious too, like in in regards to the production. I mean, like how much uh, processing goes on? Like, is it mostly with the actual mics, like where he records, or do you do any? Yeah, he's just got, he's got great mics that we that was like one of those things was like one of our early rules was like just get the best mics we can get Mm -hmm. and jesse thorne was a huge huge help with that and kind of like we we sought him out on that not just because he was like already podcasting and knew a lot more than we did but we were like well he does something that then winds up on the radio like his show was syndicated on a lot of public radio stations we knew he had to use good mics Mm -hmm. so like we were like okay what what mics are you using how they sound blah 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 so the setup in the garage is fairly simple there's nothing overly complicated about the setup but the mics are you know always our insistence that they're top of the line and now mark sends me the raw audio as a wave file 
And if like if we were starting a podcast up today, I might think about this differently. But the fact that we started when we started and then I didn't think about it differently uh, means to me I'm probably never going to change it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is that we were coming from working in AM radio and then sometimes having stuff that was like exclusively digital content. But the AM radio quality of it, when we had to upload that as a podcast, which we did, and no, you know, nobody was really listening to things on podcasts at the time. It was like it was almost like oh, for all you like nerds who want to listen to the show it's a podcast too Mm -hmm. Uh, but it wasn't thought of as like that that was the mass delivery of the show so partially it was because people it was like well this isn't listened to by many people it's also am am quality radio so the sampling rate can be low i'm basically going to drive this down as low as i can before i start to degrade the audio and that way the file size will be small and people will download it to their will will be able to sync it to their iPods much faster because that was how everybody did it back then. Just plug, you had to plug in and sync up. Mm-hmm. When we started WTF, that was still kind of my goal. Was like, you know, this is spoken word. It's not. It doesn't have to sound like HD quality audio. And I'm gonna compress the hell out of this. I'm gonna make the bitrate smaller and you know people will be able to download it in a reasonable amount of time. I we still feel good about that because although you might listen to other shows. You know, especially if you're like listening to them on your Bose speakers now, like our show definitely has a lower fidelity or resolution than, than other shows. But we just find that it does, as long as it's not impeding on the quality of the show, like the someone's not distracted by the sense that the audio quality is less we're, we're going to keep it that way. I mean, I don't know. I don't exactly know what kilobyte rate you actually do put your show out at. I know the file sizes have always been small. It's always been like around like the 20, you know, like 25 megabyte mark, right. even though I guess, you know, like data, it doesn't matter anymore, right? Because we all have all these huge hard drives. I guess, although, you know, we moved, you know, we have stuff on the, um, on the Howl app, which, you know, uh, is our, our archives. And those, you know, one of the, they, they requested that you know the ad-free stuff that's in the archives they requested that at a higher fidelity and they wanted that at a, a 128 bit rate which is like mp3 audio you know m- music audio quality sure. yep yep and i've seen plenty of people complain about it that they're like this chews up my data charges when i want to download this if i want to listen to it on the train and mm-hmm. you know what i found with wtf is i've never noticed like i've always known that the file sizes were smaller and i knew okay fine there's some more compression going on but it's interesting that it doesn't affect you know when mark will play music at the end yeah i still don't hear it like i don't like the compression doesn't get to me whereas like for me i put out a two-hour show and it's music based and i still do it at 96 right which is still lower than your you should if you're like doing music but i still it's like it, it reaches that spot where it's like okay it's gonna be a reasonable download it'll be like 70 80 megs it still seems big but it's also like loaded with like a few tracks and stuff like that but what you've been doing you know this whole time i've always i've always appreciated that because it obviously too like like i said earlier like i'm always a few months behind so for me when i go into wtf i'm always downloading like two months of stuff at a time and i love that i can just do it so quickly yeah and it's the only podcast i can do that and i've always and i've never even though like I am sort of an audiophile that way it's never been an issue and yeah. I think that just goes to the actual quality of the show and, and the conversations themselves as I've never noticed that was really like I can I can honestly say that was just a matter of like trial and error calibration 
from way back before we were ever doing WTF, just figuring out, trying out different bit rates, you know, mono versus stereo, trying out constant bit rate versus variable, and, and then just hitting on one and going like, okay, there we go, just like, you know, a recipe. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that was too much sugar, now there's not enough sugar, okay, there we go, we finally hit the right one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, listen, we're going to listen to some more music, and, uh, and then we'll be back. So here's a cool track, this is Gunship. Uh, this is the track Pink Mist.
And that was Pink Mist by Gunship. And uh, today I'm chatting here with Brendan McDonald, who is the producer of WTF. Now we were we were just talking about the technical side of you know like podcast you know, bit rates and stuff. When you talk about the actual calibration process, I mean. I think because of WTF, and I know, I mean, you say, you you know, you got your advice from Jesse Thorne and stuff. I mean, because even I use a damn Shure, the SM7B, which seems to uh-huh. have become the podcasting microphone, if you're serious about it, yeah. which are fucking expensive. With a stupid Canadian dollar, this thing's like 500, but anyways. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they're very nice microphones. Was there ever some calibration as far as the way that the, the thing was set up in the garage in terms of, you know, hearing the other, the guest's microphone coming through Mark's microphone? and that sort of stuff? I mean, was there any calibration there or was that all done from the very beginning? Yeah, it was pretty much from the beginning. I mean, we were guys who were familiar with radio studios, so it didn't take a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. because it was much simpler than what we'd been working with. So it was like, if anything, it was like a a little bit of a relief. Like, oh, we don't have to have all these mix minus problems because we have like a tell we don't have any telos and oh, oh, it's great. Like we just have four mixing channels and microphones perfect mm-hmm. you know we didn't ever really fret about the studio if there were little like things to fix and tweak because of like the sound was not the per- most perfect you know particular guests we would do that but it wasn't a big deal i mean i remember there was the uh the Catherine o'hara interview where he made a point about that there was like a microphone issue it wasn't a mic issue it was garage band he records all his tracks into garage band and there was some degradation that caused it was definitely not the mics it was like the the actual recording right that episode was able to be salvaged but the there was one with um kevin allison that we just completely lost because like they they just sounded like um garbled robots the whole time yeah but yeah so that's happened but i, but I interrupted you you were you going to ask about a particular episode well i was just curious if i mean in that uh, that's one example but have has there ever been an example where you've had to rely on like a backup microphone like does mark ever have like another thing running on the table just in case or is it sort of like if fucking garage band fucks it that's just the end no he has his uh he has his zoom hd recorder running to record a backup and we've needed it at times um we've needed it at times either because like the computer crashed and we've used that file instead and also there have been times where he shuts the garage band off and he's still running on the backup and people are like, oh, but then there was this that I forgot to tell you. And they start telling him something. They were like, oh, my God, we're definitely using that. Yeah. <laughs> how many, I mean, when you said when you started making the show and how you sort of produced several episodes before you even started uploading them, like how how much of a buffer do you need to feel comfortable? A buffer in terms of in terms of like completed edits. How many how many edits of conversations are you ahead right now? Oh, I'm virtually never ahead. <laughs> I, like I'm, I'm almost always doing the edit the day before the show is set to air. That's nice to hear. You know, there's plenty of times where he'll send me something and I will give it a listen immediately, but I won't give it an edit immediately. And yeah, just for the nature of what we do, there's no use. We tried that for a little while. We tried to make sure we were one episode ahead so that like I'd be done with Thursday's show prior to the show that we released on Monday. But all it takes is for that to get off track once and then you never get it back. 
so there's really no need to be um, in advance on them. I've had episodes where I was editing till three in the morning, the Monday morning when we published them. I mean, that's sort of comforting to hear. I mean, not that I do this as a job, but I mean, like, that's where I am. And for some reason in my head, I was always like, WTF, they're probably like fucking eight episodes ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I could never imagine that. (laughs) I really enjoy editing. I really do approach it sort of more like, like an art and I have to be in the zone. And obviously, sometimes deadlines force me the same way I was in high school. I am a procrastinator, and I just don't fucking do stuff until I see that deadline coming up. And then that sort of gets me going. Yeah, I work. Yeah. I started, um, again, Small Fry podcast over here. But I mean, like, I started a Patreon for the show where people can, you know, donate a monthly amount or whatever. And I found that that actually really helped me, even though it's not a huge amount of money or, you know, like a living wage. But the fact that, you know, awesome people cared enough to donate, that got me motivated to keep the show on track. Yeah, you know, you have to deliver. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and even though it's not like a huge thing, I mean, I couldn't imagine with, you know, the size of your audience that there'd be that pressure that you you just go like, okay, like this is for real and I got to fucking do this thing. But I mean, do you have like a schedule, a work schedule, or is it literally just the show comes out tomorrow and I got to do it? I mean, there's always, I mean, the, the work schedule is kind of somewhat driven by Mark's schedule. You know, like a, on a really good week where I haven't been loaded down with a lot of other things, I can often get the interview interview fully edited like on a Friday that's like a good week mm-hmm. but then I'm generally waiting for Mark first of all you know we wait till end of business on the preceding business day so for Monday's episode it'd be the end of business on Friday to make sure that all the inventory can be closed out so you know if there's an extra spot available our the sales team has the ability to sell that right up until you know five o'clock Friday so we can't exactly go ahead and record unless we set up a you know special situation where we say hey mark's going out of town we need these episodes done by x day you know we give them the time to fill the ads if they aren't already filled and so then it's like you get that stuff to him for over the weekend and he's going to record his intro his wraparounds then he's in that boat like he's I'm not sure what I'm going to say. I'm not sure how I'm going to say it. And he's procrastinating. And then I'll get that file, <laughs> you know, six o'clock my time on on Sunday night. And then, then I have to Sunday night edit the show and make sure all that matches up. And that if we needed any pickups, I got to get pickups from him. So it's not so much that like we have a set time that we do it. We just have a set knowledge that it gets done. Right. For me, I mean, I work in a similar way where like the, the bulk of a show is this interview that's usually between like one hour and one hour and a half, but I always make them equal two hours. And so I will just, there's a half hour of just me sort of playing music and stuff. And I usually record that bit very close to the release of the show. And so it's sort of, I guess it's like that similar idea, whereas like where Mark's doing the sponsorship stuff and and I imagine like the monologues are sort of up to date. Right. But he's recording interviews, you know, you can tell by what, what he's saying in the show is like roughly the time period that these interviews are recorded in. So is it you purposefully not listening, just trying to stay with the the episode that you're meant to be editing? Because sometimes I know that he's probably recorded certain interviews months in advance. Right. When you say that you're you're just focusing on the one episode or whatever, or you're not ahead, but technically the recording of the interviews are ahead. So do you... Do you see this list and just know, okay, Mark already has, you know, these seven interviews in the can. Yes. And then I'm just going to listen to the the top one. I mean, how do you choose the order? That's an, that's another thing. A lot of times it's just next in line. 
But we will also do the best we can accommodating a guest's request for where they should air. Sure. You know, if they're out promoting a particular movie or something, we want them to air around that movie, you know. And I just wind up lining it up on our calendar and I can see who's coming up. And I know who's already recorded or who's scheduled to be recorded. But in general, I'm not listening to them. Like, they're just sitting there waiting to be edited and aired. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing any work on them until that time. And I guess it's nice, too, because, like, the types of conversations lend themselves to be timeless in a way, I suppose. You know, when Mark's always talking about people's pasts and their childhoods and things like that. Because, like, I don't notice it very often, but I do notice it. I pick up where it's like you had um, uh, Neil Young. Oh, yeah. Then there was the Crosby one. Yeah, Crosby happened before... Neil Young, right. Or no, did it? Well, no, no, it happened It happened after, but there was a reference where Mark says, you know, Neil Young was just here. Like, I just recorded with him yesterday, oh, but the, okay. but the oh, Crosby was- episode didn't come out for like two months after that one or whatever. Right, and that's a situation where Crosby requested that it wait until his album was coming out. Sure, okay. So, like, that might have even been a situation where, like, we had to then go do more interviews at, like, and hold on to David Crosby, even though he could have aired months earlier. Here's a weird question. Do... Because yeah. I don't understand necessarily how this works in the in the podcasting world when you're dealing with, you know, famous people. Do guests sign something? You mean, like, a release? Yeah. No, we tend to just get voice consent on the microphone. Oh, okay, okay. That's good enough for uh, fresh air, and so we figure that's good enough for us. Yeah, I've always been curious about that, because obviously, I mean, have any guests, I'm assuming the president did, but is is there ever uh, any stipulations that you have to send them an edit, or is that sort of like understood? Like we actually refuse to do that. We okay. won't send an edit. <laughs> but we will say if there's something that in their memory they are uncomfortable with, and they want us to take it out, we will do that. Like we're not there to sandbag anyone. We're not sure. there to you know if they feel like they've spoken you know made a slip of the tongue, mm-hmm. uh, we won't you know hold that against them however i mean that's a big reason why we don't allow like publicists to sit in on the interviews and that like right that way we know that if that comes to us it's because that person him or herself has said i said this and i didn't like it right it's not some publicist who was sitting in on it and the talent was 100 percent comfortable saying what they said and the publicist was like oh i don't know can you take out that part of they said this and then that just becomes a fight and it's annoying and, and we don't even want to be bothered with it. So we don't let anybody sit in on the interviews. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think I need a damn publicist with all the dumb shit I say. But uh, anyways, let's listen to some more music. All right. So here is a cool track by Video Void off the Joy Remixed album. And this is Stumbled Through Time Mustache Machine Remix. <laughs>
And that was Stumbled Through Time Mustache Machine Remix by Video Void. And I'm here today with Brendan McDonald, producer of WTF. And we were just talking about getting genuine you know, interviews with guests, you know, without interference from publicists on the edit or anything. Because, you know, for me, I always send a rough cut to people, but it's because I'm, I mean, a lot of the people I deal with, they're not really professional, you know, so much. There's only like a handful that actually can full on make a living by making the music that they make, considering how small the, the scene is. And so occasionally some people will say things where they like badmouth their employer or something, you know, and then I'm just like, I always send them that because like, I don't want to get them fired or, you know, like, yeah. I guess it's different. When you're, yeah, I, I mean that's the closest thing we had to that, and it's really the only time we've ever sent anybody an interview. But it's similar. Not that he's a private person, but it was a very personal and private story. And Mark talked about this on the episode that we did. This it was Todd Hansen, who was the head writer for The Onion, and spoke to Mark about his suicide attempt. Right. You know, Mark said, you know, I want you to be a hundred percent on this. Mm-hmm. Mostly, you know, it was out of a desire to make sure a decision was not being made hastily right. by us or by Todd and that everybody had the proper amount of time to kind of sleep on it. That was a super compelling one, man. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's very important that it's compelling, but it's equally important that it's 100% consensual that that is compelling because the worst thing of an episode like that would be that it is compelling by way of exploitation. Sure. And we would have killed that whole episode if Todd had said, look, I'm not comfortable with that airing. I, You know, I was very happy that in the moment I could talk to you about it, but I don't want people to hear that. You know, we want to be able to maintain that type of trust. This goes, I mean, this is like a super technical question now, but I mean, you say Mark records the show on GarageBand. What do you edit it in? Uh, I edit in Adobe Audition, which is for the only reason that I do that is because, uh, it's what I've used my whole professional career. It used to be called Cool Edit. I can do it with my eyes closed, so mm-hmm. I use that. And there's no real reason for me to use anything else. That's another thing about it is that we're doing a very simple. It's two tracks, but they're not split tracks. You know, Mark's just recording a stereo file that is the same mix down. So. I don't have any kind of complicated edits that I have to do. Yeah, because I found for me, I mean, I'm a video editor by training or whatever. And um, it seems counterintuitive, but I actually use like video editing software because I'm more comfortable. I guess when you, when you find what you're comfortable with, you know, like we were talking about at the very beginning, how like Apple always updates their stuff to and, and makes seemingly terrible decisions each time. Right. And they updated uh, their Final Cut software, right, which is the, the video editing stuff. And there was this point where it seemed like Final Cut might actually be like a real competitor to Avid. And, you know, there's these news stories about how Final Cut was going to take over Hollywood. And there was like one movie that was edited with Final Cut and it was a big deal, like Cold Mountain or something. And then they decided to completely change the way the program worked. And then it just sort of became more kind of like iMovie and it was clearly like they just abandoned the whole idea of having this be professional software but the one thing that they did is that and I don't know if Adobe Audition does this because I've been slowly deciding to switch to Adobe products just in case I have to switch to a PC because Macs are getting really expensive now Yeah. when the Canadian dollar went down there was a point where we were getting a really good deal in Canada because our prices were the same as the states but our dollar was worth less so like if something was 99 US it was 99 Canadian which was like great for us and then they switched it (laughs) so now it's like if I want to get like an iMac the one I want 
with like adjust the settings a bit here and there it's like five thousand dollars which is a lot of money but anyway uh, so final cut does this thing final cut x where uh when i make an edit it cinches the audio together which not a lot of editing programs do and i don't know if like if audition does that where you know like if you make a cut is there like a blank space in between your audio that you have to then like drag the audio or delete the negative space or does it no, no it just snaps right away okay cool that's pretty much like why i use this program was because when i found that out because a lot of the other audio editing programs i had used that wasn't something that they did you know like pro tools or any of these other ones like it just you always had to manually sort of move the audio around and that was a really cumbersome process i mean my thing is like i wouldn't say i like really know how to use pro tools expertly but i'm sure i could edit the show on it if i needed to mm-hmm. it's just not necessary for me you know it's like especially considering like there's a lot to do like on any given day mm-hmm. basically running the show so the faster the better and if it's just simple i'm always going to gravitate toward it well also when it comes to different software i mean every year every iteration especially when you're like i'm part of the stupid adobe cloud now right so like every you know they keep updating their software and i just think especially for doing like special effects work and stuff like that which i also do you got to imagine well how did people do this (laughs) like 10 years ago i mean obviously people were using you know fucking pro tools version one and they managed to edit a whole movie soundtrack and so every time they they make these new iterations that supposedly make things simpler and add more features, I'm always thinking in the back of my head, like, but people still used the other stuff and they still produced really good stuff. So, like, how much is really being added with all this new software that's really going to be useful to me? Right. And it usually turns out that it, it isn't really. Right. <laughs> so that's that. But, yeah, I think... I don't know. I think we're good. I think we fucking talked about a lot of shit here, man. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm always interested in some of this for my own benefit. Is that I don't I tell I don't tend to articulate this stuff a lot. So sometimes when I'm talking to somebody about this stuff, I'm like, oh, good. I'm reassuring myself that this is uh this is all okay. When you talk before about sort of liking the idea that you're sort of in the background i mean i understand that what benefit does it do the show to know how much you know work goes in it's just always been one of those things that's been on my mind personally is because i knew i just knew listening to the show i'm just like i know i know there's more going on here and at the same time because i'm sort of detracted a little bit from those shows that are maybe like too produced I mean, that's a, that's a thing that sort of puts me off a bit, too. I'm thinking specifically of, like, NPR-type shows. Sure. But sometimes I find there's sort of, like, a cheesiness to it as well. Yeah, it, looks like it becomes a little antiseptic. I've always been just very aware of the choices that are made in terms of editing choices and things like that, and they always stand out to me, especially with... I mean, in visual medium, like documentaries, whenever when I'm watching a documentary, I'm always very conscious of the images they choose to show and the weird graphics they'll use. And ever since, you know, like Netflix, you know, when they start putting up documentaries, there's so many like really bad ones that I've seen. And I'm always just going like, that's a weird choice. I feel that way about anything that's like overproduced. I remember watching, there was a, the documentary about the dude who played Elmo. Maybe they took it off right. now. But, yeah, yeah, sure. And I just, I'm very conscious of, and, and I know that some people don't even notice this shit like you know my wife will be watching something and she won't even pick up on it and i will be the guy who's like the idiot making sarcastic comments but like there's a story where the guy talks about meeting uh jim henson it's this big moment in his life 
and he says, oh, I had to go to the bathroom and splash water on my face, you know, because it was such a, an intense moment meeting his hero. And then they cut to, you know, sometimes where they'll take a still image, but they'll add motion to it. Yeah. To sort of bring life to. So it was literally like an image of a sink. And then they've added motion of like water coming out. Yeah. And then you hear the sound effect of a sink. And I just remember like, it's just moments like that where I'm watching a doc just going like, what the fuck just happened? Like, why is this more compelling than a talking... I, I know there's, like, this idea that a talking head isn't compelling somehow. Right. And you need to embellish it with gibberish. But then at that the same point, I'm like, did I just see, like, a, a reenactment of a sink pouring yeah. water? Like, what well, the... F- <laughs> if anything, like, our show has always kind of stood as this declaration that, you know, people can be patient and listen to something that's longer than 10 minutes like that there's a desire for conversation out there there's a desire for things to be discussed at length and there's a lack of people doing it not mm-hmm. just on podcasting or radio but just in your own life something mark hammers on all the time it's just like a, there's a lost art of conversation out there so we've always had that feeling of it being important to allow things to take time to not have to embellish anything. And at the same time, you know, what you're talking about, I, I it was always my intention, you know, what I said to you before of like, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to stay in the background. It's not just that I'm happy to myself personally stay in the background. I, I want the idea that the show is produced to be in the background. That doesn't mean you have to ignore it or that I've failed if you acknowledge that it's a well-produced show. It just means this should sound to people like what two people sitting around having a conversation sounds like. And you shouldn't be thinking about other things while you're listening to that. You know, part of that is just achieved by the context of the show that you bring into it, knowing that this is a guy who walks out behind his house and sits down in the garage and does the show. And part of it is in the texture of it, keeping it sound the way it does you know knowing that we can have a dog barking outside and that we can hear (laughs) planes flying by and it's always funny to me like i'll have sometimes every now and then somebody will point out something that's in the show like hey did you guys uh notice that this happened and it's like you do realize i can take that out right (laughs) you're hearing it you're hearing it for a reason yeah of course but people love pointing out mistakes though man i mean that's (laughs) <laughs> yeah, something I experience quite a bit. But anyway, let's uh, let's listen to some more tunes. All right, this is uh, this is a track by Dana Jean Phoenix off her new album Synth City. This is Synth City.
And that was Synth City by Dana Jean Phoenix from the Synth City album. And I'm here right now with Brendan McDonald, the producer of WTF. And we talked before about publicists and, you know, making sure the guests are comfortable uh, and stuff like that. But on WTF, have any guests ever come in with pre-sort of stipulations? Not usually. I mean, like, we've had guests who have had, like, a list that they didn't want to talk about. And we've, <laughs> we've turned those down. Okay. Or we've said there have been situations where publicist says, like... Don't know, talk about this, his ex-wife. That, I mean, that's one thing. They say, Like, we'll, we'll honor something like that. Like, Mark's been divorced twice. And if he said, like, if he wanted... It was like, you know, I'm done talking about the divorce and didn't and wanted that, that to be honored. Mm. Like he would expect it to be honored so like that's not really an issue it's more that like you'll get a person who's you know out promoting something and they'll say yeah he really wants to do the show but he just wants to talk about this new book album movie whatever it is sure he doesn't want to talk about anything in the past and then it's like okay no thank you then yeah because like this is a show about a person's life so either have to trust us and trust that Mark is not going to abuse any boundaries and, and also trust that if it goes in a direction that you don't want it to go in, we can stop and we don't have to do that. We don't have to air that part. Mm-hmm. So either you're going to do the show that we do, that the president did with the same lack of conditions, or we're not going to do it. It must be interesting, too, with people, someone going in who knows the show is obviously like an advantage. Sometimes. In that they, but then I've noticed this, too, and I'm not going to name any names, but having listened to all of WTF, there were a few specific episodes where I got the impression that the person was kind of trying too hard to... Trying to WTF. Exactly. Like, she was just trying to keep adding layers of this childhood trauma or whatever to, like, sort of... Because she was on WTF. Yeah. Yeah. No, you can, you can definitely notice it. Yeah. So that must be tricky, too, in a way, right? Like, <laughs> in the editing process where you go, like, how much of this is really the real story exactly yeah you have to balance it yeah yeah for sure well well listen man it was uh it was nice to meet you same here same here thanks for reaching out um and uh, totally cool for you to to talk about this stuff that's really cool sure some it's nice it's nice to hear i've got a very small audience but it's it's neat to hear that you know even when you're in the sort of the big times there's some of those same issues and problems and procrastination and shit like that are still uh <laughs> are still there oh yeah no and i don't think they ever go away <laughs> When you um just a quick uh, quick thing actually just to, just to clarify when you talk about advertising inventory like you've said that phrase a few times like inventory uh-huh. what what exactly does that mean Well we have specified the amount of slots that we are willing to sell per episode you know they can't come to us and say like hey you have uh, seven ads on Monday's show we have specified that there can be two 30 second ads at the top to 60 second ads within the body of the episode, which always happened before the interview, uh, and then one 30 second ad in the post roll position uh, at the end of the show. So that's five pieces of inventory per episode. So when I'm saying inventory, I just mean the number of spots that they can max out on any given episode. Right. And I imagine just like any sort of like TV show kind of thing, like those they have a different value to them based on their placement. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And then now that's all. So when you start to, when you talk about mid roll and stuff like that, so like if an advertiser goes through mid roll and they say, I want to go on WTF, there's like a chart they look at. Yeah. Or I think that, you know, they do their own, they have their own secret sauce. And if they're going to sell in bulk, you know, they might get a deal. If they're looking to buy on, you know, a dozen shows, 
mid-roll might say, well, look, if I can put you on WTF for the, the price that you're looking to spend, I'll also then be able to put you on like five other shows, you know, like, so that's a part of the benefit of being with a, a network that can do things like that. And then, then it's not up to me to just solely leverage all of these prices myself. When you first started doing it then, when you said you were sort of like calling, I mean, like, what was the process like of sort of trying to get advertisers in the beginning? Did you have to like prove your worth sort of right off the bat? Or were you just looking for people who are interested? It was mostly because the show was getting a little buzz. And the first advertiser we ever had was not including the coffee sponsorship, which we really did for no money. It was just something we carried over from our radio days. But the first advertiser we had was Audible, which came through our host server, Libsyn, and it was not a good deal. It was like, but it was like, oh, hey, yeah, we don't have any way to get any money on this show yet. Let's do this. It was basically like anyone that was doing a podcast through Libsyn was, would be afforded the ability to do ads for Audible if you just split the revenue with uh, Libsyn. But I could see how it could work. And so then I started calling out to advertisers that i knew from radio right uh that was when i you know like like stamps.com was really the first one i i did a big deal with and we were the first podcast that they ever advertised with <laughs> they just tested it out by way of the offer code you you, know, you, you know? guys opened the floodgate for uh, stamps.com oh, yeah i am the i am the blessing and the curse <laughs> I would love to edit together a 40 hour <laughs> of like every single podcast that has that as their sponsor and then just yeah. the different ways people have had to sort of tweak it to make it their own. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, responsible for a lot of people not going to the post office. <laughs> that's, that's what it should say on your tombstone. Yes. That'd be <laughs> yeah. No waiting in line. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, listen, you have a lovely day. All right. Thanks, Andy. Nice talking to you. Nice to meet you over here. All right. Well, you have a great day, and it was lovely talking to you, and uh, have fun uh, editing and stuff. All right. Same here. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was Brendan McDonald, the producer of WTF. And if you haven't listened to WTF, it's a great show. And uh, you should check it out, but I'm assuming most of you probably have. And that is all for me this week. So uh, tune in next week. There'll be more uh, Keeping It 80s with Marco Merrick. If all goes well, I got a good guest next week, so you should enjoy that. It's actually two people. And uh, and then I got to start recording some new interviews because... <laughs> The well is dry. Some of these interviews I'd been sitting on for uh, several months, and now I have nothing, and so I have to uh, record interviews. When am I going to find the time? I don't know, but I'm going to work my... <laughs> I love that I'm always swearing constantly that I was just about to say work my little butt off. <laughs> That's an expression I've never used. I hate that expression, actually. Um, I'll work my ass off, all right? to make this thing happen. Anyways, guys, have a great weekend. Um, I'll uh, catch you next week, and uh, let's end with a little track. All right? Uh, here's a track from Data Stream. You know I love Data Stream. Uh, you can go back and listen to my episode with Data Stream. Oh, and as a quick follow-up, when I had Data Stream on the show last time, I told the story about how I sliced through my finger with an X-Acto knife while I was cutting cardboard. Well, I can proudly say five months later, it's healed. And I can also say it took five months because remember, like I cut my nail right from like the bottom all the way through. So like that whole 
flawed nail with the with the line through it had to uh, had to grow out all the way. And I went to one of those little places, you know, with all the Asian ladies in there where they do like the uh, the manicuring and stuff. And I got this lady to do this thing called a powder, which is where they put like a powdery goo stuff that becomes like a plastic like enamel over your nail to protect it i guess women do it to protect their nails but uh, i was doing it because i just had this crazy nail with a fucking slice through it so anyway but this is dumb uh here's data stream with the track star racer and i will catch you guys next week on beyond synth the best synth wave chat show there is (laughs) 